Welcome to The Crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communication that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives. Hi, this is Gary Sheffer. And hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University. Gary, as we uh, get ready for the PAGE annual conference, uh, we're going to have uh, Roger Bolton yeah. with us on this show. Yeah, my favorite people. Uh, mine as well. Uh, but uh, let's let's go to the news. And, and one of the first items I want to talk about is something that we touched on t- two weeks ago from when we were taping this particular spot. And I was a little miffed <laughs> when uh, I saw that the MIT Media Lab uh, and its leader, Joy Ito, uh, were apologizing. Uh, seemingly, it wasn't very specific. Didn't, they didn't give us dollar amounts. They didn't give us uh, what the relationship actually was, other than that they had had a relationship of co- some kind um, with Jeffrey Epstein. With Epstein, yeah. And uh, now that story has unfolded. We asked the, the question, you know, what gives? And now we know a little bit more about yeah. what gives. Well, when you know when Ronan Farrow knocks on your door and uh, at MIT, which is the case here, really revealed you know, a deeper relationship, one and one that Ito and others at MIT may have tried to hide yeah. as some of the Epstein revelations were occurring. And uh, so, Mike, you were so right about this. You know, it's not often that you are. <laughs> I agree with that. But, it, you know, really is like we both asked ourselves, like, what are they apologizing for? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, there had Epstein had given a lot of money in a lot of places. But the closeness of the relationship was much deeper than they revealed. Yeah. And, look, you know, I'm going to hold my first crisis class today at, at BU for the semester. We're going to talk about this. And. The lesson that I always give to them is what can be known will be known, folks. That's right. Well, and what's interesting here, too, is, is so we, we learned that he gave more than a, a million and a yeah, half himself. Yeah, right. Uh, and on top of that, he was directing uh, contributors yeah. and helping raise money for uh, the media lab. And one of the contributions documented along these lines is from the Gates uh, Foundation. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, what's also inter- interesting in this tale for me is we've talked a lot about how organizations increasingly are going to have to get a better gauge on what their employees think mm-hmm. and how their employees feel Very about much. certain things. And what's been unveiled is actually the reason a lot of this information is coming to the fore is employees at the the Media Lab at MIT uh, have shared information with the New York Times and other news organizations because they had questions about this all along. Exactly. And there was a whistleblower, I believe, involved in this. And I also think, I mean, obviously the Epstein story is going to continue to unravel or to grow, maybe is a better way to say it, the implications of it. But the fact that this was a, a media organization and Ito was on the board of the Times. Right. If you read about this, you see the Times was investigating Epstein for quite a while and some thinking that maybe his role on the board at the Times resulted in a story being sat on. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but the intensity of what a media lab like as prominent as MIT 
what you can expect. The the way they should have gone from the start was find out everything, disclose self-disclose, and uh, you know explain it to their employees and to their stakeholders externally. It looks, you know, this drip, drip, drip has just been really, and Ito's out of a job now at yeah. uh, MIT Media Lab. Yeah, so. well, it's, it's it's a little bit like my uh, my former boss Greg Page used to say at Cargill. You know, he was a CEO, and he used to say, "In a world where nothing can be hidden, you better not have anything to hide." <laughs> exactly. So, so Mike, I give you that's one check mark in the. In the wind column for Mike on MIT, he was right a few weeks ago. Uh, the, the other thing that caught my eye this week, and, and I think caught a lot of people's eyes, was uh, Donald Trump yet again uh, with what's being dubbed as uh, Sharpie Gate. Uh, there were initially maps of uh, where Hurricane Dorian was likely to hit. <laughs> uh, those maps kind of showed it going up mm-hmm. the East Coast, and. Uh, and, and he probably, you know, initially innocently just kind of said, oh, used an they, old forecast, they, right? Used yeah. an old forecast or whatnot and said, you know, these things go up the Gulf as well. And kind of said, well, you know, people in Alabama have to be worried too. Yeah. But where it got crazy was, it, you know, rather than just saying, oh, yeah, I, I, I just slip of the tongue or I, I wasn't really up on where everything was, instead, there's an obvious, uh, you know, little half moon drawn on a map. With a sharpie. <laughs> the president's and, weapon of choice. Yeah. And, and, so, and so there were two things. One, which is, okay, what else could you use a sharpie for if you wanted to change what people really think about the world? Uh, and then the other thing is, I'm actually surprised that Char- Sharpie itself, the brand, didn't think about yeah. what they might be able to play off. You're right, and and you know that kind of opportunity in a crisis is, you know, it's a place where you can have some fun. You know the, what was it Oreo a few years ago? Yeah, Not the that it was a, the lights went out and you, you can still dunk in the dark, and that kind of nimble uh, uh, you know, use of social media can be. I did think Sharp, that Sharpie didn't say anything about the president's use, and it's you know they make a special. Sharpie for him with his signature on it. Oh, I did not yeah. know that. So, so uh, uh, I would actually, you know, I I would have said something like, you know, Sharpies are strong but not strong enough to move hurricanes or something yeah. like that. Some social media, you know, play on words like that. But uh, you know, on the serious side of this, uh, it just tells me that there is nobody in charge of communications at the White House besides the president. Now, you yeah. know, they. You know the national weather. That may be why they no longer have briefings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, uh, you know the National Weather Service says it's not going to hit Alabama, and then you find out that NOAA, uh, you know, uh, you know, told people not to contradict the president, and all this stuff has come out. And to your point, Mike, it went from a oops, you know, I, I read an old to bizarro world completely to a six-day, seven-day, whatever it is now, uh, gate. Yeah. You know, quote, unquote, gay, where, you know, there's so many other things. That well, well, and I got to say, I had a little problem with so much attention, actually, ultimately being focused yeah. on this. Yeah. You know, it's like, sort of like anything that uh, rubs us wrong in the political world, we add the word gay. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think it, un- unfortunately, diminishes uh, kind of what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it, 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 it's a little 
step back to almost, you know, 1984, and then yeah. if I say it's so, it's so. Exactly. And uh, so, uh, you know, really, in many ways, um, emblematic of, uh, from a communication standpoint, at least a lost summer for the president in many ways, with, with a series of these kinds of things. What Americans expect in a hurricane is, is leadership, of course, and a sense of uh, healing and, and recovery. And instead, we're focusing on whether he deliberately tried to cover his own ass, to use, yeah. a, use a phrase. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, we've had spots uh, on, on a few of these kind of news segments yeah. about branding and marketing. And we had some fun uh, with the chicken sandwich at Popeye's, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and they ran out of sandwiches. Right. Uh, but now we're beginning to see a teasing uh, from Volkswagen right. uh, that seems to be a repositioning of the brand. You want yeah, to talk yeah. a little bit so, about So, you know, back in the mid-2000s, um, working with my colleagues at GE, we took a company that had, you know, a very bad reputation um, from an environmental standpoint and uh, launched Eco-Imagination. It was really a cross-business uh, 360 campaign. I, we, great work. Yeah, we, we thought highly successful, but we were very mindful of the fact that we had this black hat passed in mm-hmm. for, as an industrial company, uh, chemical pollution. What, what, you know, what's, uh, and how we might deal with that. But, uh, Volkswagen announced, uh, I guess last week they're coming out with a new logo. You know, they've got the little VW inside a circle. Mm-hmm. And they're going to release it this week. And the intent is to remind everyone that they're an eco-friendly uh, automobile company. So we'd assume it'll be green? Uh, I would assume it would be green and have some kind of, you know, uh, leaf or something in it. I hope, Mike, that uh, one of the things when we did eco-imagination is we looked at some of the greenwashing that had gone on in yeah. that period. Uh, in, in fact, by some of the other car companies who said they would build green vehicles and they didn't. Uh, BP is, of course, a great example. They turned their logo into a sunflower and had all kinds of problems environmentally, as we know. So I hope after the emissions cheating scandal that Volkswagen Mm -hmm. has been through, which has really rocked the company to its core, that it's just not a mark. It's really a change in culture and uh, a reason for their existence. But we'll see. And maybe we'll follow up on this uh, on the crux in the future. Well, and I think, you know, and we'll hear a little bit from Roger, yeah. you know, the importance of alignment when exactly. you're talking about brand, you're talking about purpose, you're talking about society. Yeah. Um, it'll be key. Yeah. So, terrific. Great. Busy week. Absolutely. Great to be back here. I, we're starting our classes today, Mike and I, and I was saying before off mic, I'm a little nervous, Mike. I don't know about you. I, you know, it's been four months since I've been in the classroom. It's only my second year. I, you know, the students... I got are, an email from one of my daughters saying, be good on your first day at school. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's even worse, making me feel <laughs> even worse. Thanks for listening to The Crux. We'll let you know how we do in the classroom, too. Hello, and welcome back to The Crux. I'm, I'm Gary Shepard. I'm here with Mike Fernandez here in The Crux studio at Boston University. And we're really thrilled today. Our guest on the crux is one of the best-known and respected people in public relations, Roger Bolton, who is the president of the Page Society. Uh, Page is the premier professional association for senior communications officers. And let me tell you a little bit about Roger. He's had an amazing career. He served as the senior vice president 
of communications at Aetna and had a really broad portfolio there for all internal and external communications, advertising, et cetera, the whole nine yards. Uh, before Aetna, Roger was at IBM doing uh, media relations work and, and worked with a couple of their businesses as the head of comms. But it even gets better for Raj. Uh, he, he was Assistant Secretary of Treasury for Public Affairs under George H.W. Bush, Assistant Trade Representative for Public Affairs under President Ronald Reagan, and a Special Assistant to President Reagan in the White House with responsibility for the President's relations with business and labor. Roger is uh, one of the most honored people in our profession, including the recipient of the highly esteemed Institute for Public Relations, Alexander Hamilton Medal for Lifetime Achievement. That, As I say, that's a big deal. And Roger is here with us today because the Page Society has just unveiled some important research on the future of the Chief Communications Officer, or CCO. It's entitled, The CCO as Pace Setter, What It Means, Why It Matters, and How to Get There. So welcome to the crux, Roger. It's really an honor to be with you, Gary and Mike, as well. Uh, great friends, and uh, speaking of legends, you guys are both in that category. Well, thank you, thank you, and we we agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> Our students are with us in the studio here, Kenneth and Jess. Our they're in disbelief. They are completely slack-jawed here. They don't believe any of that, Roger. So, so before we get to the report, so how long have you been? Uh, really, the we call it president, but really you're the CEO of Page. How long have you been in that role? Almost eight years, Gary, much wow. to my surprise. When I took the role, I thought maybe a couple of years, and then we'd move it on to somebody else to take it uh, from there. But I, I found that it's um, a labor of love, and I'm having a great time. You were my boss for two of those years <laughs> when you chaired Page. Right. And we had a great time running around the world together, and I'm still at it. So, so tell us a little bit. Page has grown really. How many? 32 years old, Roger. 33. Page now, since it was formed. We're up to 36 years. Wow! Wow! I'm wow. So, but it's grown dramatically. The growth of the membership. Uh, uh, the work, the global aspect of it. It's really, just give us an update on, on Page, who are members, and, and how it's grown over the past few years. Well, uh, as w you guys know, you're both leading members of Page. Uh, it's basically the Organization for Corporate Chief Communication Officers. We also have a large number of really excellent leading uh, public relations agencies, CEOs, and a number of educators, in fact, who teach uh, strategic communication at uh, universities around the world, including BU, of course. Um, we are now up to about 775 members. Um, it was 423 at the end of 2011 when I came in, so we're up about 80% in the last almost eight years. Uh, but I, ha I have to say it's not about size for its own sake. This right. is strategic growth. Uh, we believe that... Uh, it's really important for chief communication officers to have a peer network. It's an increasingly global world, and we are increasingly global. The fastest growth is outside the U.S. We now are closing line on, I think, nearly 150 members outside the U.S. Fantastic. And we still think we need, you know, to do a little better job with high-tech, uh, emerging industries, West Coast, et cetera. 
So it's all about uh, filling out the membership with uh, new ideas and new kinds of thinking and new kinds of people. And, and the, the mission of, of PAGE really is to increase the value of the CCO to the uh, entity, the enterprise that they serve. And so that brings us back to the report um, that you have just released, uh, which has uh, been in the works for a year or so. And I want to get back to the title, the CCO is Paysetter. Um, so what does that mean? What, what were you guys thinking? What was Paige thinking um, in uh, putting this report together, and why that title? Well, being the Paysetter means being at the center of the enterprise. As you said, that's our mission, Gary. Yep. Uh, partnering with the CEO, defining corporate character, activating it across the entire enterprise so that you become truly what you aspire to be so that you can earn the reputation that you deserve, which in turn gives you permission to operate, the ability to succeed. And we see our CEOs have a huge opportunity to step up and be more like that, to be more mm -hmm. in that role as the pace setter. Uh, frankly, as you guys were, Gary and Mike, in your roles at GE and Cargill uh, as um, sort of partners across the C-suite in defining the enterprise, making it truly what it aspires to be, and then earning that reputation because it's real. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that, it, that the report seems to capture is what has changed in this role. And I found it interesting even the characteristics of the various elements that make up the role from professional to pathfinder to pace setter. Could you talk a little bit about that uh, for for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So um, we, uh, we felt when we started this work that, in fact, when Amor Hines was elected chair almost exactly two years ago, she and I met and she asked me, if I thought that we should update our thought leadership. And I said, well, I think the page model's holding up pretty well, and we agreed with that. But we also felt that the world continues to change rapidly, and the, the onslaught of technology and disruption and sort of new kinds of business models are challenging enterprises. And so we felt that we should revisit that, and we did. We visited um, more than 15 countries. We had a – we talked to more than 200 – um, chief communication officers. We did a, a quantitative survey across 26 countries with 170 responses. In each case, this is the biggest effort we've ever made yeah. to kind of get input from members. Really? And yes. we found that, you know, it kind of all goes back to the CEO and the enterprise and the challenge and disruption and transformation. So the the professional to pathfinder to pace setter is our effort to take all the learning from all the members we talk to and say, these are the areas where CCOs are stepping up to help, and this is what it looks like as you get better and better at it. And you kind of start at the basics, and then you move into pathfinder, and then you move on to the pace setter level, which is the most advanced. Now, the lens that you used really focused on kind of four major findings or four categories you talk about brand, you talk about culture, you talk about social, social values, There's something called ComTech, which is kind of the digitization of the space that we're operating in. 
Um, I'm really interested in that first element that more CCOs are responsible for now managing corporate brands. Uh, certainly, each of us have had opportunities to do that with, with corporations we work for. But talk a little bit more about, you know, how that traditional marketing role uh, is, is changing and what's the CCO's involvement? It was, I'd say, the biggest surprise for me. Mm. Me as well, CC, Roger. Yes. Yeah, that as, as we went around, you know, very early on, John Iwata said, oh, that's new, that's new. And I said, hey, I'm not so sure. I mean, some <laughs> of us have had strong involvement in corporate brand for a long time, especially more B2B kinds of companies and more right. companies. But as we went along, it became clearer and clearer that there was something new happening here. And in the quantitative, 66% of the respondents own corporate brand. They're responsible for it as opposed to just participating wow. in. Wow. Yeah. So we, we see it as a new tool to help the CCO build corporate character and earn a positive reputation. It all goes back to how do you have the biggest impact? And the, the thing with corporate brand as opposed to product brand is that corporate brand and increasingly companies are recognizing this represents the multi-stakeholder view. So when you define corporate brand, you're going beyond the customer and you're going beyond the logo and the look and feel and the story and you're talking about the experiences and the touch points that every stakeholder experiences as it interacts with the company, which in turn gives the CCO permission, if she owns it, to work across the enterprise on those touch points and gives you more influence to build that corporate character. Who are we? What do we do? How do we impact every individual that we come into contact with in the course of our business. I, I just think this is such a great development, mm-hmm. right? Because I was one of those people a few years ago that thought that marketing was eating our lunch, yeah. right? And 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 not that it's a, a you know sort of a us versus them thing, but uh, uh, the sixty six percent number, yeah, is really surprising to me. Well, you know, and it may go to the fact that. In one sense, we always think of marketing, and we first go to product brands. In yeah, our mind, yeah, right? right. But when you think of corporate, corporate brands, yeah. and then all of a sudden think about the the push and energy, as well as what's happening with millennials and Gen Zs coming into the workforce, and that need for organizations to identify with what is their purpose, yes, and how does that link to these newer constituencies. Yes. I think that's where a lot of this is beginning to come in play. Um, Was there some depth around that, uh, Roger, as you kind of peeled away the onion as to what might be driving um, the momentum around more CCOs being engaged in corporate branding? Oh, I think clearly what's driving it is the realization that we're in a multi-stakeholder world now. I mean, look, this is not exactly new news, right? Right. (laughs) We've been talking about this for more than a decade with the iPhone and the Internet and, you know, the connectedness and the empowerment of stakeholders. It took the business roundtable a decade to kind of come around to saying, oh, we live in a multi-stakeholder world. (laughs) Right. Um, but, um, But that's been the reality that we're living in, and more and more CEOs, have realized that and have realized that as much as they value the CMO, and this is not about devaluing the role right. of the CMO and earning the customer support, right. but in, and as much as they value that, there are a lot of other stakeholders that matter too. And that corporate brand 
I mean, even the P&Gs and the Unilevers, which are, you know, sort of prototypical House of Brands kind of companies, General Mills, uh, realize that their corporate brand stands for something, and it has value, and it has meaning in a world where everything that the enterprise does is transparent, and stakeholders around the world matter. It's all about reputation at the end of the day, right. and brand is cool in earning that reputation. And 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 the rising expectations that uh, these companies are going to stand for for something. I, I was Roger talking to a Page member over the weekend, a CCO, and she was telling me that. Um, she has responsibility for corporate brand and then a broader set of responsibilities, too, across um, marketing strategy, uh, customer communications, uh, the philanthropic arm of the company, et cetera. And her, her comment to me was, it, it wasn't, it's not about turf, but for her it was, it was so refreshing to have um, a centralized approach to the story. Mm-hmm. of who we are, how we approach stakeholders, what we do, what kind of value we drive. It was so refreshing. Rather than letting that story get torqued through internal, mm-hmm. you know, turf maybe, and is that everybody's pulling in the same same direction. Um, so that was a page, page member, so very consistent with your findings. I think she nailed it. That's yeah. exactly it. Exactly. So the second sort of area that you, you focus on is something new is very similar you know, we've all worked with our chief human resources officers over the years to try to drive culture change when it's necessary, maybe in response to something difficult that happened, an integrity issue. But your finding is that CCOs today are heavily engaged in building and instilling a new kind of corporate culture um, across the business. Can you tell us a little bit about what what that means, Roger? Sure. So uh, this goes right to the heart of the CEO challenge. The CEOs, again, are saying lots of disruption, need for transformation, need to become a new kind of company, in fact, uh, more like the platform companies that are cloud-based and data-driven and agile and devoted to innovation and change. And the biggest obstacle to success is culture. And in this case, unlike brand, we don't find that the CCO, quote-unquote, owns it to an increasing degree. The CHRO more typically is the formal owner, but the role of the CCO as partner with CHRO and with CEO in redefining that culture and activating it across the enterprise is so important to the success that the CCO just has to play there. And it's not just the sort of traditional communication role, although that's one of the most important aspects to achieving culture change, of course, and so we've always had that role. But it's in the defining part as well. Gary, you were heavily involved in that mm-hmm. with Jeff Immelt at GE. You and he uh, together, and you worked closely with the CHRO, I know. No doubt, yes. Uh, redefined uh, GE Works, and what does that mean? And, and so it's not just waiting for others to decide and then being the internal comms lead. It's being strategically involved from the beginning and understanding if we have this multi-stakeholder view and we've got to make all the touch points real, then how do you enable the enterprise to deliver against that? Yeah. And the CCO can do all that. And that was so much fun. This, to me, was the the most fun because this is really where you can get your hands dirty on who we are, why do we exist, 
you know, well, and, and how do we activate that? Yeah, right? and you really need it for alignment on a lot of key issues. Completely, completely. So I'm glad to hear, and, and I, I like the distinction, Roger, that while in the brand category, it sounds like more CCOs own it, uh, these partnerships with other members of the C-suite uh, are so important. The CHRO, I found at the tail end of my time at GE, was probably the most important. Even if you quote-unquote own corporate brand, you darn well better have a pretty good working relationship with the CMO. Oh, exactly. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, totally. So, so we, uh, societal value. So, Roger, you mentioned it, uh, you know, the leading CEOs in the U.S., which is really the business roundtable, they, they released this re, um, revised statement of corporate purpose and recognizing that we're in a multi-stakeholder world, uh, which Paige has talked about for many years, it got a big reaction, bigger than maybe I thought it was, because maybe because we had been so close to it for so many years and, and recognized it earlier, I thought it was sort of vanilla. But you, what you had was a big reaction on both sides of the Wall Street Journal editorial page and others uh, reacting to it. And some negatively. And some negatively, exactly. And uh, I think the Journal's editorial was headlined the stakeholder CEOs, and they sort of still fall back on the Milton Friedman idea that you make money and then if you do that, you'll you'll serve society. As you think about the page report and what you found with the role of the CCO, what did you think of all of that sort of kerfuffle and discussion around the BRT report? My question is, where the heck have they been? <laughs> I mean, exactly. you know, uh, Jack Welch in the wake of the Great Recession said, Shareholder value is the dumbest idea ever. Right. Shareholder value is the result of building value for all the other stakeholders. Right. And that's the point. It's not that we're giving up on shareholder value. It's it's the question of how do you earn it? You earn it by focusing on the customer, on the employee, on the business partners, and on society. And if you do all that, you're going to build a long-term sustainable business that rewards your shareholders. When you've got Larry Fink, who runs the biggest uh, hedge fund in the world, the world yeah. coming out two years in a row with letters saying, focus on long-term value and sustainability. And we went around the world, much to our surprise, and found that the biggest pension fund in the world in Japan is has been on that. And other pension funds and investors have been around that. I was thinking, frankly, when, when the Larry letter came out, that uh, this is a, a huge change from... Uh, niche investors who are right. interested yeah. in sustainability, but in fact, it's it's mainstream. That's correct, and yeah. it's just the right way to think about building value is the multi-stakeholder approach. I, well, and, and if if you even think historically, and I happen to be the nerd in the room here that <laughs> studied accounting, speak for yourself. Um, yeah. But but you know, in basic accounting theory, there's something called the 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 going concern or ongoing concept. And the rationale is the reason you even have financial statements isn't that you're going to, you know, bleed your customers dry. Um, it's that you're going to have an enterprise that's going to continue um, for the next year and the next year after that. And so you need to have some record of that so you can make adjustments. And the corollary of that is that this is about the sustainability of a corporation. Mm -hmm. And if that indeed is the lifeblood of the corporation, part of that sustainability needs to be a broader understanding of what sustains it. 
And that's where we get to that multi-stakeholder environment and social value. Yeah, and Mike, I think you're spot on. Roger, I, I thought the BRT should have just said what they meant, and it was exactly that, mm-hmm. that we're going to take yep. the long-term approach. Well, yeah. and, I, and I think politics obviously has gotten bollocked <laughs> up in this a little bit too. Yeah. And there's the need based on uh, corporations being pilloried, yeah, right. not just in this country, but in other Everywhere. countries yeah. as, as well, um, and, and trying to you know, get some halo right. um, effect for the good deeds that they've long been doing and being a part of. To me, I think the change isn't so much from shareholder value to multi-stakeholder, but it's from the pr- primary focus on customer yeah. as the way you create value into a recognition that broader stakeholder value is really critically important in the world we live in. If you want a couple of examples of that, I'll give you two. One is GE under ML with eco-imagination, mm-hmm. and Gary, you were at the center of that. Mm-hmm. And another is Cargill with the work that Mike did with NGOs and sourcing products uh, out of rainforest and commitments that both of those companies made, and you guys were a part of that, to take a societal value approach to the way you source products and build value for customers and, and shareholders. And to, to think that it's only about customers and shareholders ignores the reality that you live in a world where what you do matters and you have an opportunity both to mitigate the negative impacts of your business and to emphasize the positive impacts. Aetna would be a good example where I work. Yeah, exactly. What are we about? We're about helping people get access to the health care they need. Mm-hmm. When Jack Rowe came in and we just refocused around that, it changed the way we thought, it changed the way we operated, and we became a company that was much more successful financially by virtue of the fact that we were focused on creating value in society. Yeah. CVS would be another example with the decision oh, not to sell tobacco. In the absolutely. Would have changed their name to CVS Health. CVS Health, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing that's interesting and, and I think um, fascinating about the report is the discussion around uh, – companies being increasingly more data-driven, more analytics-driven. There's not a company that uh, you talk to today that doesn't talk about artificial intelligence, um, you know, on an investor call (laughs) and how they're applying it. In some cases uh, where there are security issues, you hear blockchain invoked. Uh, But I think it's now interesting that CCOs are investing in technology and doing so in a way that's looking at not how you only become more digital, but how do you become more agile and how do you become more analytical as a result of all of that. Uh, uh, Roger, what did you you uncover as you had these conversations with CCOs about what they're doing in this space and where where that's going? Right at the beginning of this process, you guys may remember this, we were in a board meeting kind of talking about what we might seek to learn. And Rob Flaherty, our colleague from Ketchum, made the observation that um, marketing has done a great job over the last decade plus of using technology to really understand the customer down at the individual level. And we all understand how that works, right? We, As individuals, we we reveal our preferences, and we get marketing that's sort of uh, customized to us. And it's called MarTech. And he said, where's ComTech? <laughs> and it caused us to kind of, as we went around the world, we started asking 
our, our colleagues if they were working on this. And many said, well, not really, but some did. Mm-hmm. And some said, yes, we're beginning to use technology to understand other stakeholders besides the customer down to the individual level, and we're investing in this. And it becomes a powerful tool to help us motivate and assist people to take the journey that we would hope that they would want to make by giving them access to tools and information that allow them to make better decisions and to act in ways that help us achieve our objective of creating stronger value. And it's it's fledgling, it's new, it's confusing to some of us, and uh, it requires a real focus and additional investment and knowledge. Not that much money, but more commitment and learning. I think it's also a point of view. I mean, we're seeing some, particularly agencies as well as some companies, beginning to broach the world of behavioral science in important and unique ways, particularly uh, CCOs, a couple that I've, I've dealt with, are being asked to help think through how certain products and services are going to be perceived uh, by very specific marketplaces. Yeah, exactly. Roger, would you say this is the one, because believe me, for you know an old dead pr- uh, you know tree guy like me, newspaper reporter this is the most challenging one from from you know i i intuitively get the others yeah but this one if you asked me to explain blockchain you know at the risk of my life i probably would you know not make it so is this the hardest one for people to get arms around or is it just my generational thing what do you see when you went around the world what did you hear from people and where they are on this progression path well, I have the same reaction to it that you do, and, and as you know, I'm older than you are, so it's, it's um, <laughs> not by much. <laughs> it, 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 it's 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 new stuff, right? Yeah, and, and it's challenging, but it's challenging to everyone, frankly. I mean, it's it, I would say it's true that some of the younger leaders are maybe a little farther along on it, but but they don't have it either. I mean, it's this is the newest piece, it's the most challenging piece. There are members who are doing interesting work. Uh, in fact, uh, Dave Sampson's yeah, work, right. and we're going to be talking about it next week from Chevron, is fantastic. Uh, so it's not really an age thing. Let's not make it that. Uh, it's really about all of us really understanding the power of this technology to be used in a responsible way. I mean, the, the, the outline around this we need to keep aware of is that there's tremendous potential, as we all, all know, for abuse of this technology as well. And we have to be committed to using yes. it honestly and authentically and That's transparently. Great point. great point. So that it's uh, really uh, enhances your reputation, and you don't you don't use it to manipulate people to do what they don't want to do. You do it to express your point of view in a in a two way way. So you're listening as well as as telling your story and being willing to uh, to to evolve your your actually your actions, who you are in response to outside perspectives, but it's a powerful tool if it's used yeah. authentically. And Roger, so tell us, how. what I love about the report are these progression paths, which Mike mentioned earlier and you've, you've discussed, how is Paige going to bring the report to life? So we've, we've heard for so many years, make these things actionable. What's, what's the plan for, you know, putting this in the hands of the CCO? So in addition to this uh, rather lengthy white paper, which we have the habit of doing, this time we're also going to build a microsite where members and others, frankly, can go 
find the progression paths and we're going to build learning opportunities around them so that so that where people have a start, you can build on that. What's the next level look like and how do I get the skills and capabilities I need? We already have our learning lab, which is an online learning program. We're going to be building other kinds of learning opportunities into something called a page academy. To some extent, Gary and Mike, we haven't invented this yet, so it's still to come. But right from the get-go, there will be uh, case studies and resources available in this microsite, which will help members begin to understand not only what, but how. Terrific. And we'll we'll link to that on the Crux uh, website, so folks can listen to this and go right to uh, to that microsite. Yeah, that's great. You know, it, it's interesting. We kind of started on the train around uh, brand and marketing discussion, and it prompted me to think a little bit about my in my first role as a uh, chief communications officer back in the late 1990s. Uh, I had the great fortune to work with uh, a woman by the name of Pam Eel, who was our chief marketing officer, and this is in telecom. Uh, she would later go on, by the way, to be the chief marketing officer for the National Basketball Association. Oh, wow. But she and I used to get into really theoretical conversations around the world of marketing and PR, and we came to the conclusion, even back in the late 90s, that increasingly technology and the Internet were going to create a world in which our efforts overlapped and in which, you know, we would be using many of the same tools and that therefore we needed to have a different kind of relationship as we go forward. Mm -hmm. And she actually would be useful in helping recruit me to State Farm because she was head of marketing oh, at State Farm when I went there. Um, but I'm curious, Roger, uh, you know, when we talk about the evolving relationship between CCOs and chief marketing officer. And I look at the report. The report gets both to the CMO, but we've talked a little bit. It's changing the relationship with the CHRO, uh, changing the relationship even with the general counsel. IT. Um, IT. Yeah. Um, what are the long-term implications of all of this in terms of the role of a CCO in the C-suite? I think you and your colleague had it right uh, a decade ago. Uh, the, all these roles are changing. They're all changing for the same reasons. And the question isn't who wins or who's in charge or any of that. The question is how can we work together more effectively and more productively using the new tools and the new insights and the new realities of the world in which we live and the stakeholder demands that we uh, have, have to deal with in a way that is successful for the enterprise. Uh, Gary's going to lead a session at the Page Annual Conference coming up soon on this. We're going to bring in several C-suite uh, executives, and we're going to talk about our shared goal of working together more effectively. And frankly, I just hate it when I get the question, which is so common, who's winning, the CEO <laughs> or the CMO? And, and that's, not, that's not the right question. The right and question it's irrelevant, is, right? And say, how can we work together to build value for the enterprise? If the CCO owns corporate brand, okay, that's an interesting finding, and it, do, it does tell you something. Yeah. But the CMO still owns product brand, right. and those two things have to work together intimately. Exactly. And as you, as your conversation with your colleagues suggested, Mike, in the same way, we're paid, earned, and owned is all crunched together yeah. in this social digital world, and we've got to be really clear about what's paid and what's earned. And, uh, and what's owned rather. 
and how they work together in a way that's productive and authentic. That's great. And, Roger, I, I know we're going to uh, have a link to the report, but uh, tell our audience uh, where they can find uh, PAGE. What's the URL? It is www.page.org. Terrific. P-A-G-E dot O-R-G. Excellent. What Roger's referring to, by the way, is our our annual conference. Yeah. Um, and where we get together, members get together, 300 plus um, get together. And this year it's in Boston. So uh, good good choice by the leadership at Page to <laughs> uh, pick the city of Boston and makes it possible for me to be there. Well, right? we, we have a short ride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have a short ride. And, and uh, so, Roger, listen. Oh. I'm really looking forward to to the conference. Looking forward to the report. I think it's fantastic work. And what amazes me is how much effort went into building this. Uh, so many. I, I kept reading your reports from you and Amor Hines, uh, our, our chairperson, of all of the forums that you did around the world. And impressive. Uh, very very impressive. So congratulations on that. And really looking forward to digging into this. And lastly, and thank you guys for your support as well, and for this opportunity. I look forward to seeing you in Boston in a few days. And we'll, we're going to bring you a Crux T-shirt, by the way. Um, I can't wait. Yes, we're expecting you to wear it throughout the, the conference. So. Roger, thank you for being on the Crux. Thank you both. All right, okay, take, take care. care. Thanks for listening to The Crux, and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.